Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Conversational Witchcraft with me, Dawn the Kitchen Witch. And today I have with me the very impressive David Shi. Uh, he is a shamanic worker and folk magic practitioner who primarily engages in traditional North Asian forms of shamanism. Raised in a household that incorporated both Southeast Siberian and North Chinese practices, David has dedicated his spare time to the study of the spiritual traditions of his ancestors of greater Eurasia. David's practices are deeply rooted in spirit work in which ancestral and land spirits are called to empower all workings. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy I'm to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you uh, for multiple reasons. One, I think we crossed paths at Witchfest USA virtu- did, yes. virtually like two years ago, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Because like when your information came, I was like, I think I know him. And then I was like, oh, I do know him. And the other reason I'm really excited to have you on the show is because I have not had anyone on the show that does what you do. And I know very, very little about the type of crafts that you practice. And so I love interviewing people that I don't know anything about what they do because I get to learn so much. So I'm really excited to learn from you today. I'm just, yeah, I'm also a little over caffeinated. So apologies. All good. Apologies in advance. So, so tell us, David, give us your origin story, right? How did you come to be in the witchcraft community? And like, how'd you get from point A to point B, you know, like in terms of how you grew up and the practices that you now have? Sure, sure. So um, it's a little bit interesting. I actually grew up in a background that was actually very atheist. Uh, my parents having come from uh, a communist country and they they essentially came with the belief uh, that pretty much all, you know, religion, spirituality was all just superstition for the less educated folk. They were very big in like, oh, we are science and tech folk. And so anyone, whether it's, uh, you know, backwoods people or even Christians, they're all just in fantasy. So that's kind of Actually, that was how I was raised. Wow. Um, what I did realize, and this was something that I realized much later, is that this was something that's very specific to my parents. My relatives, on the other hand, do maintain spiritual practices, but they don't talk to my parents about it. So hence, I got no exposure. Um, and because my my ancestry actually does have, you know, very deep spiritual work and workers in it, they inevitably, those ancestors come through. And I had not realized what it was. In fact, in my teenage years, I knew that there were, there was, you know, spiritual entities and there was, you know, like, an you could say magic, if you will, but like energetic ways of working with, you know, like energetic um, being like thing, like basically energy or spiritual entities and all that stuff. And, um, and growing up in the U S as you do when you go on Google and you type up these words, what comes up is, you know, Western witchcraft, neo-paganism. These are the things that kind of, that pop up. And if you yeah. go, even if you go to that, that section in Barnes and Nobles, that is what you see as well. Yes. So uh, for personally, that was actually where I started and, you know, kind of on and off throughout my middle school, high school, college years, I, it kind of, you know, I, I kind of uh, put it off a bit. Yeah. It was after college in New York, I started getting more connected to people within the pagan and witchcraft world in um, in New York. And over time, what started to be, it was a little less clear at the beginning, but what's become clear is that I am supposed to do some type of spiritual work, but what was around me was not quite that. Uh, sure. I got that feeling myself, some very... Um, like powerful elders have expressed something similar, even when I was in, you know, witchcraft circles. And let's just say they were, you know, it was a ceremony for, let's just say Hecate, for example. I even got the message from them. It's like, thank you for being here. Appreciate you being here. But the path that these people are on, you're not supposed to be that. You're welcome here as a guest, but this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Wow. And it was around, 
throughout this time, I also start getting dreams of, you know, my ancestors, wow. uh, what I know now, to be, I didn't know what they were at the time. I know now to have been ancestral spirits uh, telling me to research more about them uh, or about a specific group of ancestral spirits about that culture and, you know, research about their shamanic practices and couldn't find anything. So they're like, okay, look at our neighbors. So when I look at the neighbors, that was basically Mongolian, Siberian, and to an extent, Korean as well. Um, China has uh, a strong animistic spiritual practices. It's mm-hmm. not quite uh, shamanism. Mm-hmm. So it was very clear. I That's when I started connecting to uh, people, mostly online, who were much more familiar and even themselves practitioners of, you know, Northern Asian shamanic practices uh, from uh, Mongolian, Siberian, and even Korean. I actually have, I'm pretty close friends with a lot of them now. And they identify what it was that my uh, ancestors were saying, what type of practices I should be doing. And even though it's not quite the same as what they're doing, it's similar. It's very similar. It's similar enough that they start giving me some teachings as well. Um, I will say though, and I don't, people tend to take this, you know, a little bit differently. I am technically not initiated as a shaman only because in our um, practices, we are looking for a specific teacher to um, initiate and teach us and be our elder. It can't just be anyone, uh, even if they're legitimate and, uh, elders and such, because um, our spirits have to be compatible. Uh, and wow. if the spirits are not compatible, it doesn't work. I'll give you an example. Yeah. The one one friend of mine, she's one of the endorsers for my upcoming book, but one of my friends, uh, she is a traditional Mongolian shaman from a very ancient lineage. The problem is her lineage and my ancestors were enemies <gasps> several hundred years ago. Oh, wow. So she was like, for both of our safeties, Let's not do this. Oh, wow. So so that's very, very unique then because you are literally seeking out, the, the teacher is seeking out the student, the student is teach, seeking out the teacher, and you have to make sure that you align on all of mm-hmm. these separate levels. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm interested in this thing, I'm gonna go learn about it, and then I'm gonna kind of like work through an initiation process, and it doesn't really matter who's teaching me the information as long as the information is something that I'm I'm using, absorbing, and, and doing. You literally have to align in all these ways with your mentor, teacher, elder, right? Yeah, for 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 almost all North Asian shamanic practices, even in Korean shaman shamanism, it's the same thing too. But yes, finding that uh, specific elder to initiate you. I, I mean, the friends that I have, uh, they were they basically they did what they could. That they did teach me a lot of practices that were not non initiatory, and so I do have a. Uh, I, I will consider I have a very rich arsenal of practices and techniques it's just not at that you know fine like final level but it's and because of that um it's something that i've been very grateful for and something that i kind of built my own practice currently Mm -hmm. and in terms of you know when i might be able to find that teacher well we'll see what karma has in store right right yeah so that's really interesting that when you first kind of like discovered a spiritual path and after growing up in a non-spiritual household that w- all that was available to you was this sort of European witchcraft, you know, or, or neo-paganism that we see, which, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, I don't, I'm not going to presume that you're as old as me, but like when I was growing up in the eighties and nineties and finding witchcraft books, like that's what was there. That's, that's what you got. Now that works for me because I'm of Italian descent and I'm a kitchen witch and that, you know, that's, that's what worked for me. Um, But how, are there any things that you learned in those early years of finding witchcraft and paganism that directly brought you to your path now, or that maybe you've kind of incorporated into your path now? Or similarities? I mean, there's always similarities because we're all working with, you know, the the spiritual and and the divine. Uh, We almost have a saying that we we don't actually think any practice or any other belief or faith system is wrong because we are of the opinion that spirits have their own cultures too. So Mm. they're just other people are just following their own culture to upwards to, you know, that higher level. Um, In terms of like 
I actually, I did take a lot from my early practices. It did help guide me a lot in terms of, uh, well, here's what I said. What, what is current, what has been out there in terms of uh, Western witchcraft, neo-paganism is very ceremonial. Mm. Even the, like, the least ceremonial traditions are still pretty ceremonial. Mm-hmm. And I think that just goes to, um, you know, the way the Western traditions develops, whether it's through Jell Gardner or other figures, um, but the the way that they treat, um, whether it's, you know, the elements or uh, whether it's, you know, working, inviting in different spiritual entities, that kind of helps pave the way. In fact, a lot of those spiritual entities were the ones that, you know, ultimately sort of helped sort of point me in the right direction a lot right. of elders um like for example even like uh courtney weber for example like even with her and her uh coven at the time very welcoming welcomes me in but it was but they they also helped point me even though they didn't know like what was in that direction they was like that's the general direction yeah and so there was there has been a lot of guidance there has and especially within uh new york you come across people of all different spiritual lineages Mm -hmm. traditions and i think uh being open to the different spiritual entities that are out there and how diverse they are and how that affects the way we work with them it it kind of helps sort of it helps open up my perspective and lead me into okay so if i'm going back to my ancestral traditions you know what what are some of the things i i need to keep in mind and and actually a big thing that my spirits had uh, instructed me very early on was to learn western folk magic uh, and actually even when i came across um african american hoodoo and root work my own ancestors like yes learn that um mm-hmm. because that is you know, because for one thing, I was born and raised in the land here. So I actually do need to be familiar with the practices here because mm-hmm. ultimately I the land spirits that I'm gonna be working with are the land spirits that are here. So right. so it so I that I do need that bridge of what is going on, what exists in the West. And we have this we have a, a belief that the don't the only way we can, or not the only way, the best way we can connect with our ancestors and with higher powers is through the land spirits, because the land spirits, they are the only spirits that are indigenous to the physical world, really. And so um, they actually help provide us that connection. If we don't have that relationship, connecting with ancestors and higher powers, uh, like let's just say like heavenly beings, it's going to be very hard. Um, So. So a lot of my practice is actually, it does, it, it, you know, the, the the foundation that I have with what is available with Western, you know, whether it's witchcraft or hoodoo or stuff, it is actually still very helpful um, in my in my ancestral practice as well. Well, that's one of the beauties. Uh, one of the things, especially for me, when I first found the pagan path, uh, and I grew up in an incredibly religious Italian mm. Catholic New York family, right? Like uh. all the cliches you could possibly imagine, right? Um, and and one of the things that I loved about the pagan path was that I could I could learn everything from everywhere and and work with what worked for me, right? Like yeah. I I could be like, oh, I want to. Yeah, you know, oh, I'm going to do angel work. I'm going to do fairy work, or I'm going to have, you know, whichever deity I feel connected with, or you know, I I had the freedom to sort of pick and choose and create my own spiritual practice, and then through that kind of hone, oh, this is the type of ritual that works for me, or this is the type of ancestral magic that works for me. All of it, you know, eventually culminated into the kitchen and kitchen witchcraft and all of that, but. So many cultures, and and stop me if I'm wrong, um, or if you disagree, that a lot of these things, we might call them something different, but they all line up, right? They're all, like, when I say I'm a kitchen witch, and I learned from an Italian woman, and I'm sure they're strega in, you know, they, they didn't know they were witches, but this is what they were doing, Food, for example, is so important in so many cultures and so many spiritualities and and the way people do celebrate ancestral magic through food or through earth and, and, you know, growing things and and all those things. Would you say that that is a common thread in a lot of the the things that you've studied? 
What I would say is the common thread is in terms of our cosmology, our framework, and how we see the melding of the physical and spiritual world. Mm. That does that does create a lot of common threads. Where it starts to become uncommon is uh, ultimately even within the frameworks, people then learn to do things a little bit differently. Mm. So what I found is that the practices become different. The frameworks are very similar. How we see the world is very similar, but um, but in terms of what what is what becomes practice and what becomes the ingredients and tools of the practice, that those start to become different. And I think that's kind of the the weird line in terms of. Uh, when I talk to people going like, oh, what is universal versus what is very cultural sp- specific or regionally specific. Right. Um, like, because uh, even, uh, let's just say with Italian, like Northern Italian and Southern Italian are very different. Totally they use, use different. Very, yeah, totally different. Totally different. God exactly. forbid you're Sicilian. You're not Italian. You're Sicilian. Like, it's it, like completely, you know, is it gravy or is it sauce? No one knows. Like, it's just. Right. <laughs> Right. So, so I, I mean, whether it's through food and even spiritual practice, they start doing different things and they start to use different ingredients and tools to do different things. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of when I'm talking to people, because uh, I know a lot of, these days, a lot of people are very um, wary about what is cultural appropriation or not. And I think one of the five fine lines is differentiating what it can be considered universal versus what can be considered, you know, individual, uh, regional, cultural traits. And I, and even in terms of like our classification of spirits, what I find is that they do align, but not 100%, maybe like 80% mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like in North Asia, we have our own classification of different types of land spirits, uh, different, you know, classes, different, uh, I guess, races, if you will. And with, and if I'm talking to someone from, you know, the Western pagan world, where does the fae fit in? Mm. That's kind of, there's like, it, it it fits, but not fully. Like there's, it's almost like puzzle pieces that, you know, belong together, but they don't fit quite together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, so I think that's where it is. And being able to differentiate between what is universal and what is that common thread between everything and then where things then start to diverge. I, I think that is ultimately what creates for people, not only just healthy boundaries, but healthy ways of uh, delineating, defining, and structuring their practice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to go back to something you said, and I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but you said, right, what's what's universal and then what's personal practice? Um, because people are so worried about appropriation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we hear this a lot, especially now. And, um, you know, right, like, could I, as an Italian American woman, come and, you know, do ancestral magic with you? You know, is that something that's even I could even be in that space, right? Could you, as an Asian American man, come and do, you know, strega witchcraft with me? Is that even, you know, I'd be like, yeah, come on over. But like, at what point, in your opinion, can you speak to that? Like that universal versus individual, and where? What do you consider? that line so at least in the the practices that i come from the line is very simple and it's actually safety um because if things don't align and if things don't work well together Mm -hmm. that can have uh harmful consequences where people become unsafe Mm -hmm. if uh like there was there was an answer there was a specific ancestral ceremony that my Mongolian shaman friend did. And I was specifically asked not to come for safety reasons, because literally she went to her elder. She was like, this guy is, you know, ethnically Manchu Manchurian is okay. If we, we take him with us. And her elder said to her, do you like this guy? Or do you want, (gasps) or do you want to kill him? Because if you want to kill him, then bring him on. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, because that, that disconnect in spirit could be so great that you could actually be in physical harm, in yes. physical danger. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's, that's something that I won't say all, but a good portion of, I think, Western practitioners and pagans don't quite understand that overlap of spiritual and physical and something that 
doesn't work well, doesn't combine well on a spiritual level can have physical consequences. Um, right. So in terms of like us doing practice together, well, one thing I would check to see is if, whether or not our spirits are able to work well together and what, and, um, and also like, would there be, what will there be any consequences? If so, what are they? Right. Or, or is this going to be something that our spirits are, you know, like pleasantly curious about and it will bring us closer together? It's, it, it really, defer, I mean, coming from a shamanic practice, it is very spirit oriented and we basically have to listen to what they, they right. say. Um, even, and uh, to an extent, like if people really want to get really nit, nitpicky about it, it even goes down to whether or not like our astrological information will wow. work well with each other. <laughs> Wow. You know, again, that's not something I ever would have thought of in terms of the the pragmatism of do our spirits align for us to work together? You know, um, primarily my practice is solitary. I'm a kitchen witch unless it is a public ritual or I'm getting together with, you know, people specifically to celebrate, a, you know, a, as the wheel turning celebration or something. So I don't generally think, oh, could this be physically harmful for someone or emotionally harmful for someone or myself. But I think that our, our, you know, our guts know our subconscious and our, and our spirit know, because you'll be like, uh, I don't want to do ritual with that person. Or mm, I'm having this, you know, gathering for Beltane at my house. And mm, maybe, maybe we're not going to do ritual because these particular folks are going to be there and, and they won't get it. So like, I feel like maybe we know that, you know, that, that we don't align, but the actually putting that into view is not something I've ever thought about. Yeah. It's, I mean, definitely that gut feeling it's, it's a big, you know, warning sign. And yeah. the, the way we do, it, if we get that gut feeling, we will immediately check. We'll do divination. We'll, you know, yeah. check out information. We'll, we'll, we'll confirm to make sure that the gut feeling is correct for sure. And, but pretty much with, I think even not even just North Asia, but all Asian practices, this is how they differentiate between open practices and closed or initiatory practices. Because the open practices, we actually encourage everyone, no matter where you come from, to do them. They're open and they're they're good. It's like vitamins. They're good for you. It's, yes. you know, like, and everyone should take them. But then we have closed practices where, like, this is where things will get risky and only certain people should practice the, these. And even, even within, like, Tibetan Buddhism as well, uh, they have like open practices where, you know, everyone chants like certain, you know, mantras or do certain practices, you know, it's great for everyone. But uh, within Tibetan Buddhism, and this is something that actually freaks out the, uh, the my shaman friends as well. They have this practice where they, they physically move their soul up and down the body. And if you are not careful, you could commit suicide. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like it, yeah. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> right. In fact, wow. wow. It, there, there's actually, I mean, I, I, I don't know if this goes off topic, but there there are instances where, you know, when um, in, in the early days of the Chinese Communist Party, when they were imprisoning religious uh, figures, they would literally have, like, in certain cells, like, lines of tibetan monks like sitting in meditation and one day the guard goes in and everyone is dead because they all decide to commit suicide together through a spiritual practice if you look at their their body autopsies nothing is wrong they just are no longer living and oh my goodness but they all have a tiny i mean this goes into really detail they all have a tiny little hole on the crown of their skull yeah um because the, the way they they actually uh, demonstrate proficiency in that practice is they're if they're able to get their soul to actually drill a tiny, tiny hole in their skull. So this is what I'm saying. Like the, um, what I'm learning from you is insane. Like I, like I would never have known that at all. That is. And again, like these are things that we hear about in like fantasy and fiction. And the truth is there are people that are this devout in their practices, this, committed and this spiritual and this powerful i mean that's that is that is magic i don't i don't give a shit what you call do you know what i'm saying like that is yeah. 
that is a heavy, heavy stuff. And you know what? You're right. Not everyone should practice these things. And it's not a matter of appropriation. It's a matter of if you, you're not this person, like you, there's no learning that you could do that is going to be able to align your spirit in this way if you don't have it within you already. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for bringing it back to the original point. It is it is about, in, in terms of my traditions, the, the line is at safety in terms of, you know, like what practices we can do, we can learn, uh, which people can do practices or ceremonies or rituals to, together. Essentially, that's where it comes down to. Um, if, like, if, if, let's say we're, I will say most, not all, but most Western pagan rituals and practices I have fa- that I have found are pretty open enough that anyone can do them because the gods that they work with are benevolent gods mm. that won't harm people who show up. Not all, obviously not all, but a lot you of them. You have to be a little won't... careful. You get You can't just, yeah. Yeah. But the, then that's up to the practitioner too. Like, who are we working with? Yeah. Like what, uh, you know, and, and, and then that, okay, well, I want to work with this particular god or goddess or, you know, these particular energies, whether it's the fae or, what you know, whatever it is you want to work with. You kind of got to be specific, you know? Yes. Like, like I do this um, fairy, f- f- cooking for the fairies workshop, right? And um, I'll be like, you know, how do you mm-hmm. invite the fae into your kitchen? And people are like, oh, that's great. And I'm like, hang on a second, though. Like, there are some that are not so good and you need to be specific when you're inviting these elements yes. into your space and who are you going to work with and making sure that you're kind of like, again, drawing that line, making those good boundaries and saying, this is the type of energy that I'm inviting and this is not the type of energy that I'm inviting, right? So do, yeah. you, do you have those sort of um, delineations within your traditions as well? Like we're going to work with this one, not that one. Oh yeah, yeah, um all the time actually. It's uh, uh I mean we we generally do a pretty good way of of like having names and classifications for even within uh, umbrellas of spirits and entities on which ones are are safe, which ones are more risky or wrathful. Mm. And uh, I I will say though that in terms of when we people within my tradition um speak to outsiders we will they they will make like um general blanket statements like don't work with these at all oh just work work with these um and and even comes down to like uh sometimes it comes down to even individual like uh elders as well or somewhere just will not work with each other or um whatever it's like for example there was this one elder who i met with she appears as you know a very sweet you know old woman but she has she is known to have some of the most powerful curse spirits in all of mongolia and so people are very careful about approaching her um and 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 yeah it's in a way it comes down to which spirits are are with which people uh in how we practice, but it also comes down to if we're just working about inviting other spirits that are not already with us, you know, which ones do we typically invite? And to be honest, uh, and I think my intro kind of says it, to be safe, you work with your ancestral spirits and you work with local land spirits if you built a relationship with them. Right, right. Um, Because because land spirits are actually very transactional. Um, right. They're they're um, they're the most material. They're the most materialist of spirits. But they're so, material. You know, you work they're, with them. No, that that's tactile yes. and real, and you know, so very. Um, you basically dig your hands into the dirt. You know, yes, it's really there. You feel it. It's alive. You know. Right. Yeah. And then we tell people work with your ancestral spirits because there is a lot less chance that your ancestors will want to harm you. And if the one, there are ones that do the way that we say it, they're probably not there anyways for you. So Mm. if you call ancestors, they're probably not going to be the ones that show up. Wow. Um, Has there been um, for you and, and maybe this is too personal. So if you want to skip over it, we can, but I'm, I'm very interested in someone who didn't grow up in with, with religion or spirituality within the home. And now you are, 
working with ancestors, right? That's family lineage. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, blood, it's blood magic. I mean, you're, you're connected through genetics and, and history and all that stuff. Has that healed anything within the family? Has that brought to light anything within your own like personal life? And how does your family feel a, like your, your nuclear family or your family of origin feel about the work that you're doing and or has it brought you closer to anyone and again if that's too if that's too much just skip over no it. not at all um uh, you know the thing is i have not identified extremely deep traumas or injuries within my family lines because it was only in recent generations that spiritual practices have stopped um, from what I understand, my ancestors up to a certain point were, were shamanic practitioners. Wow. And then at some point they converted to Buddhism. Um, wow. But the thing, but there is enough overlap that it's like, while the history of, his, of shamanism and Buddhism does have many violent aspects, but within my family, it does did not appear to have been that violent. Um, so in that sense, not really, but what I have come across is that it's been it's been enough generations of non-shamanic spiritual practice within my family that if I did not continue it, the line would actually break. Because the way that we see things, the way that we see sort of ancestral or work, I'm interested you brought up by blood, is is that your, generally, we consider our ancestors and even our descendants uh, in order to be have a traceable line to us is if they are within about nine generations away. Because any further than nine generations, the blood is different enough that, you know, it will be very hard. It's like spirits won't even be able to detect the, the connection. So I think for, for me, it's been about eight or nine generations since there was a practicing shaman which means that if it had went on any further it would have the lineage would have just ended um wow. so that's what i have i actually this is what has been revealed to me by you know elder shamans and so that's one thing that i so so that's really the only thing and uh in terms of like nuclear family it's interesting my my parents and my sister, they still think of this as, you know, superstition. I mean, my sister's a bit, I've discovered she's a bit more open-minded, but my parents still think it's, you know, superstition. But the way that they're, it's when I tell them of, you know, like these, of these topics, they just kind of, you know, they still just kind of laugh because they think it's, you know, like. Um, oh, that's nice. Like like yeah yeah or like oh it's like you know uneducated you know like country folk you know beliefs wow. um but they but the fact that i'm studying it is they're starting to see they're starting to become like they've never been like negatively like uh against it they've only been against it in the sense of they're like what are you doing with your life right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think we all feel that a little bit, you know, like what, what do you mean? I, well, you went to college for this and now you're doing that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, but that's, that's very interesting because, you know, it's their lineage as well. Right. It's their, just, you know, it's their ancestors. Right. So like you're kind you know, of, it's kind of like thing is. jumped over the leap, leapfrogged over the parents I had someone just really quick. I had I was interviewing um, Nancy Hendrickson. I don't know if you know her. She the is name sounds familiar. She she does it, like her whole thing is ancestral magic, um, but you know the the European and she does um, pendulum work with maps so you could find your ancestors. She's amazing, and she said to me because I was like, well, I don't even know. You know, I don't know my ancestors. I don't have a family in Italy. I'm sure they're there. Whatever. And she goes. You don't know them, but they know you. And I was like, whoa, shit, okay, you know? And it really made me kind of like st step back a little bit and go, I have a lot of discourse in my family of origin between generations, you know, estrangements and, and you know, 
quite frankly, shitty people, you know, in, in some of the areas of the family. And you kind of associate and go, well, that's my family. How can I work with ancestors? But those ancestors come to you. They come through. They find the spaces to pull you in, right? And that's yeah. that's true for me as an Italian and, and you as an Asian man. Like, it doesn't matter, right? That ancestors are going to do that. Yeah. The, the funny thing I want to just mention real quick is that even though my parents do not, you know, believe whatsoever, the really ironic thing is my mother is far more psychic than I am. <laughs> she has amazing psychic. She thinks it's normal. Like she has prophetic dreams since she was a child. And she what? like, she, she still nowadays, she still just knows things. I'm like, you don't think this is you know, strange. She's, she's like, no, it's normal. Every, everyone probably has it. Oh, and, like, and you're like, nope, nope. Just you, mom. Just you. Does she get messages from your ancestors as well? Uh, from what I understand, although she isn't telling me, uh, not as often anymore. I think she did a lot more when she was a child because I think they wanted her to do the work that I'm doing now, and she didn't. Wow. Um, so I think a lot more then, and I think nowadays probably not as frequently. I think like um, my grandfather, her father, sometimes you know comes to her. Definitely right after he passed away, he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just kind of passed it off. She was like, "Oh, this is you know just psychology, you know all that stuff." <laughs> and you're like, "No, it's 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 legit. It's legit." Um, okay, we have to take a quick break. Sure. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about your new book which is very exciting. So uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after we hear from our amazing sponsors with the incredible David Shee. Hey guys, I've just got to tell you all about the Robin's Nests. They're one of my absolute favorite shops uh, for everything for my metaphysical and spiritual needs. They've got gifts and crafts and potions and ritual items and books and books and books. Uh, Of course, candles and crystals and ritual wear. So, so many things to help you on your spiritual practice. Um, But what really makes the Robin's Nest special is the owner, Robbie Packard. She does so much to bring community and friendship and openness, welcoming people into her space at the Robin's Nest, but also into this spiritual space of anything, pagan, witchcraft, spiritual. Uh, You've just, if you're local to Massachusetts, you've got to go check her out. She's down in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Um, And if you're not local, please check them out online uh, at therobinsnestma.com. She's able to ship all over. She's able to get you what you need. She's available for questions. And of course, they have tons of online uh, workshops and classes and rituals. So really a way for you to connect with a spiritual community uh, right now from your home. Check them out, therobinsnestma.com and send Robbie a little bit of love from me because when you when you meet her, when you go to her shop, you are going to be transported into a world of loving magic and community growth. At Cucina Aurora Kitchen Witchery, we are constantly bringing people together around great food. We help you make your own mealtime magic at home with our line of delicious infused olive oils, authentic risottos, seasoning mixes for dips, and even our brand new line of coffee for moon magic and seasonal brews. Keep an eye out this spring for our fabulous new line of magical marinara in roasted garlic pomodoro and coming soon, sweet basil pomodoro. Not to mention cookbooks, cutting boards, and wooden spoons for all your kitchen witchy needs. Visit us at cucinaaurora.com, on Instagram at cucinaaurora, and on Facebook at cucinaaurora slash food. (music) 
Welcome back, everyone, to Conversational Witchcraft. We are talking about shamanism and ancestral magic with the incredible David She. David, this conversation is so enlightening. I am digging it so hard. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your new book, uh, Mm -hmm. Spirit Voices, The Mysteries and Magic of North Asian Shamanism. So first question is, First of all, I'm very excited about this because, like I said, I know nothing about North Asian shamanism. So anytime I have the opportunity to learn something new and get a new perspective, I love it. But here's a question for you. What are some misconceptions about North Asian shamanism that you kind of want to debunk right out of the gate? Well, I don't think people know enough specifically about North Asian shamanism to have misconceptions, but people have a lot of misconceptions about the word shaman. Okay, let's let's talk about it. Because pretty much every resource, they they say, oh, the word shaman comes to us from the Evenk people of Siberia uh, within North Asia. And that is correct. And But the thing is, there's been a lot of linguistic acrobatics in terms of people saying, oh, the the roots of the word saman, the root of the word sa, means to know. So saman must mean one who knows. Mm. And that is just about the vaguest thing I've ever heard, because <laughs> I you can say that about anyone. <laughs> what does he know? Does he know how to fix cars? Does he know how to make meatballs? He knows stuff, but what stuff does he know? Yeah, and I think that's that has given people a lot of license in terms of defining the word when it actually does have a it does have a pretty specific definition um it the way we define it within our cultures is a person who was chosen by specific spirits uh when they are born to act as the bridge between uh the physical world and the spiritual world, which in which they do two things. One is that they essentially is transpossession. They they're the ancestral shamanic spirits enter their bodies and basically you know interact with and help the community using the the shaman's body. And two is in which uh, the shaman goes on spirit flight, in which their spirits escort their souls to the spirit to the uh, spirit worlds to do what needs to be done there. And this definition has a lot of parts. A lot of people, um, a lot of people associate that second part with what they call a shamanic journey. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where actually the shamanic journey practice may, might have come from. Um, but the thing is, uh, the key difference is that in Western style, what they call core shamanism, which was something that's developed in the 70s by Michael Harner, uh, who then popularized the word and practice practice of journeying is that essentially within their tradition they essentially um work with i get they can work with uh gods but they basically go to the spirit world and find allies whereas the difference with shamans and traditional shamanism in north asia is that they are born with spirits because those spirits chose them um Wow. So which means they don't which means they don't have a choice actually. Wow. Uh, this is something that they have to do and this is something I've discovered for myself as well. It's it's not every not anyone not everyone can it's impossible to study to become a shaman because you are born one, but if you are born one you have to do it. You don't have a choice of not doing it. Wow. Um, so so that's kind of one of the biggest differences and I think the well it's always weird when I come across people um that they just go like, oh, I'm a shaman. And I and and the first thing I ask them, well, what's your lineage? Um, because within our practice, your shamanic spirits are actually specific ancestors who themselves were shamans when they were living. Um, so basically a, a shaman, they have essentially two responsibilities. It's they when they're living, they are a shaman, and then after they pass away, they have to become a shamanic spirit for the next generation of shamans. So again, this goes through bloodline of you know, my ancestor before me and before them and before them, and then I am born with these spirits surrounding me, and I have no choice but to follow this path. Yes, because that is what has been done through that lineage. And part of the reason that this practice has even emerged is because within the North Asian cosmology, the the gods 
risk that we have, they're not as involved in human affairs. So essentially, mm-hmm. for in terms of divine spiritual work, the best you have our ancestors. So eventually a system was developed in which the ancestors had to take on greater responsibilities Mm. and become like God, like serve as gods. But obviously they cannot, in a limited capacity, not for everyone, but they basically work with their living counterpart who they selected as a shaman to essentially be that, um, that source of spiritual need and guidance for the community. And, and so uh, one, one of the things that I tend to come across, I it's technically the people who practice core shamanism in the US um, that was developed in the 1970s. Technically, those are shamanic concepts and practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people, what the teachers in those traditions tend to say is that they tend to call themselves shamanic practitioners, which I appreciate that. Right. Um, but the thing is, it's how far removed from like from that do people start calling themselves shamans? And we and going back to the safety issue, if you go around telling like proclaiming that you are a shaman, you are going to invite. You could potentially invite entities that you are not equipped to deal with. Mm. So it goes back mm. to the safety issue again. It's not even just a matter of respect, although it is a little it's bit disrespectful. It's definitely a matter of respect, but yes. And they don't they no, they don't have any idea. They're just wow. Because yes. because because the spirits that we have, they're with us almost constantly. So wow. uh, they're able to help us deal with the entities that do show up. And and so, you know, that that's kind of where you know, a funny thing is nowadays when I come across people who say they practice like Celtic shamanism or Norse shamanism or whatever fill in the blank shamanism, it's it really what they're practicing is core shamanism because what core shamanism does is that it creates a fill it in template. Like this is a practice, you fill it in with your mythology or your mm-hmm. cosmology. Mm-hmm. So so I I Guaranteed, I know I will offend people saying this, but 99% of the materials you see out there about Celtic shamanism, Norse shamanism, um, Greek shamanism, it's basically core shamanism with that mythology laid into it. Now, if that works for them, great. But what I would really want these people to realize is that what they're doing is a reconstructed practice. They are not, it is not an ancient lineage. It is not an ancient practice. It is a new practice that they're putting in ancient themes into it. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you said, you can say you're doing shamanic workings, you you know, in, in, you know, with this mythology or these gods or these, this land or whatever, your ancestors, but you are not a shaman. Right. Correct. That, yeah. right. So you can say, Oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this formula because this works for me with my lineage. And that's what this is. Cool. Great. Is that what's worked for you? Awesome. Mm-hmm. But you are not a shaman because a shaman well, is this. This is the definition. Be, you have to essentially be recognized like by another elder right. shaman in order. To, and right. the thing is, uh, uh, we and I say we in terms of like my culture and my elders and stuff. We have identified people of European descent to be shamans because even though they are nowhere part of our culture, something happened with their ancestors and that their ancestors are making like these types of demands of their living descendants. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, obviously you have your own cultural framework, but these are the, like the general things, types of things that you need to be doing with them. And so in those cases on an individual basis, individual, that's a key word, individual basis there, we have identified like shamans from Europe or shamans from other parts of the world. And that's only because something happened with their ancestral lineage to make that possible. Wow. That is, I mean, again, like kind of like mind blowing to even think that could be. And, and that, like you said, something happened. And so you're able to identify them in this way. That's just incredible. So in terms of the new book, the spirit voices book, um, 
what are you hoping that a reader will get out of this book? Right. So thank you for bringing me back on topic. Um, it's it's uh, my job. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, going back to the very beginning when I said like people, when they're reading materials, they're given that, okay, the word shaman is from North Asia and that's it. I basically like, well, what does that mean? So that's essentially what this book tries to, ex- to in a way, explain. Um, the thing is, because shamanism and shamanic lineages do travel by blood and people mix with each other, a ver- almost all of North Asia have very similar shamanic practices. There are regional differences, but a lot of them share very similar foundations, very similar cosmologies. And what I do is, for the reader who knows nothing about the region, I explain sort of what this area is, a little bit of the history, who the people are. And then and then uh, as people become more familiar, I then start to differentiate, well, what, who are not who are the individual people's practicing shamanism how is it different per tradition so i actually the the way that i describe this book is that it's comprehensive but it's not so deep uh most materials are very deep and very narrow Mm -hmm. so essentially i'm doing the opposite i'm making it very broad and Mm -hmm. kind of surface but broad so i explore many many different um tribes of people across uh, North Asia. It's broadly three umbrella groups of people uh, with basically Turkic peoples, Mongolic peoples, and Tungus peoples, which are the really far, far East Siberia. And, and I actually, am, I, and really breaking it down, I explore three different Turkic groups that have not yet converted to Islam. They still primarily uh, practice um, shamanism. Wow. Um, four four different Mongol tribes and four different Tungus tribes, kind of giving an introduction to like each of them, um, and then exploring you know what is both unique within their own um, tribes' beliefs and their own practices, and then what is kind of similar between all of them. So, it, so again, it is a very broad book. Um, I do cover some like a. a general cosmology that is shared such as you know astrology and all that stuff mm-hmm. i um uh, you know the mapping of you know the three the three worlds as we call it uh i explore some of the physical tools that um that are used um as well as you know and the last chapter because i have to you know make this useful for people somehow i do pro- the last chapter does provide you know a set of practices open practices that people can incorporate on their own and and i had to get a lot of eyes on this work especially my you know shaman friends and you know elders to get their approval on what they believe is acceptable to be shared and what isn't so they uh they redlined a lot of things they're like remove this section yes yes and and that i was going to ask you that because it's so interesting and i think so many people are going to be very interested to hear what you have to say and your perspective. I don't know if there's anything, and and again, I've never really looked into for my own practice, you know, North Asian, Asian shamanism or any type of shamanism, because that's just not my, it's not my jam. Um, it's not part of my practice. But I think there hasn't been anything that's been so specific. And, yeah. you know, is that something that someone like me, I wouldn't necessarily pick this book up because I would say, that's not for me, you know? So I love that you included open practices to say, hey, you can learn about this and this is what's okay for you if you wanted to practice it at home. You know, the way the way that we kind of see a lot of North Asian practice, especially among, you know, the Mongol practices is that because the people have culturally been very nomadic, um, what happens is that the practices have to be very practical mm. and practical and general enough that anyone could pick it up and find ways of identifying it with their own practices. Like, for example, like, um, like when we even say like, you know, how to call like for blessings, um, it's literally like, um, I don't know if you know this, but there, the origin of the word hooray, like, you know, if it hooray, that's actually hypothesized to be of north asian origin i had to no be idea. to be a word for calling blessings and so actually people across the region they literally hold their hands together and they move it clockwise like hurray, 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 
like, like that's like a simple practice of just calling in blessings. Wow. And, or even like some general concepts, like, you know, I talk about the concept of giving offerings. Like um, I provide sort of like my own way of providing offerings, but I think every culture that works with, you know, higher powers provides offerings in some way. Right. So that, that can, that's something that I think is applicable and, even the concept that might be North Asian origin, like when I talk about, you know, like the the hearth fire or the household, uh, like hearth fire, I we describe it in general as you know the fire spirit mm-hmm. or the spirit of the hearth, and I think that's something that you know a lot of people. It's practical enough that a lot of people can relate to it and that it's not so culturally specific that you know sometimes you see things that are so culturally specific you're like i don't know how to apply that to my right. thing <laughs> right exactly exactly yeah. so so the thing is uh, and i i think that's what i found beautiful is that a lot of the practices are general enough that you know they do they, they can be applied or inspire other people to sort of think about their own practices and think you know is there anything else that could enhance it. Right. Right. Because again, just bringing it back to the beginning of this conversation, like one of the things that's so appealing about identifying as a pagan or working in this witchcraft community is being able to say, this is my practice. How can I improve it? Or what works for me? And taking these little nuggets and sort of building something that's personal, right? And and yet Mm -hmm. at the same time, not wanting to appropriate, but being able to say, well, I really, this resonates with me. This sort of ancestral magic resonates with me, or this sort of earth spirit work really resonates with me. And if I'm doing it for myself in my own spiritual way, I'm, then it's just to enhance my own practice. And and this is, and this is fine to do. And I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, I, I just, I just think David, this is, it's going to be a really important book because there isn't anything that explores i mean when you're doing your research for this and as the person you are how many books like this did you find like right i'll be honest the books exist they're very inaccessible in that they're very they're either very academic so it's very dry reading yeah or it's um very expensive yeah or or it's it's very because like I said, I co- it's broad. I cover many different tribes. Right. Nothing of that exists. There are books that cover very specifically mm-hmm. on a single group's practices. Mm-hmm. And, and what I found and what ultimately made me decide to write this book is because these groups, their practices are so similar, people who are elders and experts within their own you know, group, they start making assumptions about the neighboring groups, which half the times are actually wrong. Right. So I'm trying to do as much research and possibly compile to to be able to say well what is actually right and what is actually incorrect even like my mongolian elder friends they made assumptions about what my ancestors did and but they didn't do that (laughs) and you're like no don't tell me what my lineage is don't don't tell me what that i tell you that it's just it's really really brilliant and it's really 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 interesting david tell us um tell everyone where they can buy the new book uh, when it's available, is it? I'm not sure. We're recording this uh, in March. This episode's not going to air probably for another month or so. So tell us where we can buy the book and how to find you online and uh, where people can track you down. Yeah. So actually, if they're getting this uh, in late April, it's right about to come out. It Woo-hoo. actually comes out May 1st. Excellent. Um, they, they can find it at Amazon if they wish um if they're if they get into that pre-order time slot but uh what they but people can obviously they can find at local bookstores it's published through wiser and i think they're pretty well distributed across Mm -hmm. most bookstores or if not if you can ask their local bookstores to order if they want to support their local bookstores um so yeah like uh one thing i appreciate about wiser's distribution is that they are pretty widely distributed mm-hmm. so it's so the books are generally not too hard to find it is pricier than the average wiser book because it's it's all well, one it's more dense actually my book is actually more dense than most wiser books excellent um so so wiser is really making an investment on this because yeah um it's so it's a little it's a li- it's a little bit um on the pricey size about 27 28 uh worth every penny it's a lot of information in there. Yeah, yeah, true. 
yeah, I hope people who read the book, they find, you know, something inspirational from it, even if it's not connected to their practices. I do aim the book at, um, when I wrote, I was writing the book, I had several groups of people in mind. Obviously, the traditional shamanic practitioners. Um, I had to think about the people who practice core shamanism as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I also thought about just for Asian Americans because Mm. we at the moment don't have a huge voice in the western you know spiritual um world let's just say i mean there's a few notable figures but there's just not that much so in a way i wrote that for them in mind if they want to you know connect to their roots Mm -hmm. or find ways to connect to their roots as well and of course i uh, this book also would not have been possible if it were not for the witchcraft of pagan communities, if I were to be honest. Um, it's because that community, especially in New York, but it's, that community has been, had the interest um, and support and the support for me in this to even, because if it not were for that support, I don't know if this book would have ever come out. So it's, so I really do have, you know, the witches to thank for this. It's excellent. It's excellent. And and that's kind of what I think witchcraft community is about. You know, we should embrace everyone. We see everyone. We appreciate everyone. Um, especially, you know, we, I don't know, that's how I feel about, about myself as a witch and other witches in my life. It's like, you know, we are the ones that don't belong, so we belong together. Does that make sense? You know, it, we, it, uh, it does. We it belong does. together. Yeah. So like, fuck everybody else. So we should be supporting each other no matter what our traditions are. You know, your traditions don't have to be the same as mine and mine don't have to be the same as yours, but we're both different. So let's support each other. Um, and, and it's excellent. It's excellent to see you. It's excellent to hear that you're creating something that is solely unique to your tradition that you can share with not just the community at large, but specifically your community, as you said, Asian Americans, people that are maybe looking for something that isn't, you know, uh, Western paganism, that isn't, you know, what we're all, you know, Christian stuff. Like it's so unique and it's so important what you're doing. Um, So you can find the book, uh, Spirit Voices, wherever books are sold, support your local bookstores, please, please, please. Um, and we can find you where online? Do you have a, yes. a social or anything like that? Yeah. So these days I've been primarily posting on Instagram mm-hmm. um, because my publisher told me to. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's it's um it's where I post. I mean, I have a Facebook, but I post a lot more on Instagram okay. these days. Um, the Instagram handle is David, the letter J. S-H-I-311. David J. Shri 311 or D-A-V-I-D-J-S-H-I 311. All over Instagram. So we will make sure that we post all your links and the links to Wiser so that people can order the books um, and how to find you on Instagram. We'll put that on our show notes so everyone can find you. And um, I was enjoying your Instagram page earlier today and I was looking at um, all the pictures of your adventures. It looks like you've been to a lot of really amazing places. Um, And uh, I only assume that's going to continue. So David, she, you're amazing. Final Thank question, you. final question. Now yeah. ask this to everyone who comes on the show. It has nothing to do with your book or shamanism or anything. It has nothing. It's just for me. Um, sure. If I, if, obviously I'm a kitchen witch. If I could make you one magical meal, what would it be and why? Ooh. It's a good one, right? That is a good one. Um, I mean, I guess knowing that you are a kitchen witch i want to say like and i don't know if this is just being too general or generic but i would really like to try something from you know your lineage like a like a herb packed italian meal um because because of my north asian heritage i do appreciate protein of some Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. but but you know with with the you know with all like the magical herbal seasonings and goodness like that something something delicious something like um oh i don't i don't know just something just something herby what could i make you that's herby i could make you an herb pesto a fresh herb pesto um 
it's interesting that you chose something from my heritage and not something from your heritage. People will either say, oh, uh, you know, my great grandmother had this recipe. I just had someone tell me the other day, um, she hasn't had a Hungarian pepperkesh since her grandmother passed away. And that's the meal that she would want me to make her. And I was like, oh, you want me to cook something from your heritage? Or people say, no, no, I want you to cook me an Italian meal, like your grandmother's grandmother's recipe of something, you know, and you're saying herbs and stuff. And all I'm thinking is like a beaut. Oh, you know what you would like? I make a fresh herb pomodoro in the summertime. So I get fresh tomatoes from the garden and I literally crush them with my hands and I saute them with onions and then every herb that's in my garden. So literally whatever's in the garden, I throw in there a little white wine and then I just serve it over ravioli. And that's, mm. it's, it's literally like five ingredients and it's, it tastes like summer on a plate. I feel like that's, wow. I feel like that's something that, that you would enjoy. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Right? <laughs> I mean, let's have it right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm not impressed with most summer dishes, but that sounds impressive. It's just very light and lovely. But you said you like protein. I could do like an herb-crusted Parmesan chicken dish. I don't know. Like, I just, I like to brainstorm and like what kind of magical meals I would make for people. It tells me so much about them, you know. Um, David Chi, you are fantastic. Thank you for being here. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Um, and, this was very uh, fun. Oh, yay. Hooray. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, until next time, I wish everyone so, so many blessings and so, so much gratitude. Thank you so much for being here. See you next time. Mm-hmm.